You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. So, I'm going to kick us off. First question... Dave, you've been uh, talking to us about dating and how that is actually discerning for marriage. How do I know I'm ready to date? And how do I know I'm, oh, how do we know that we're ready to get married? Hmm. So, two questions there. So, how do I know I'm ready to date? Um, I think realistically, when marriage for you is something realistically that you can pursue, um, we don't often know what's best ourselves and we need other people to actually help us. So, I would um, get people and ask them, do you think I'm ready to pursue um, dating and marriage? So begin with the end in mind, start, start with thinking and pursuing marriage, and then you can work backwards. All right. And once someone does enter into a relationship with someone, um, assuming that this person is the man, uh, how do they go about leading, if they do, their girlfriend spiritually, and what might that practically look like? Um, in dating, I don't think there's actually a call to lead your girlfriend spiritually. Um, what, we, what we saw in Ephesians 5 is that that's for a husband and a wife, and I think we need to be really careful not to overlay that um, for, for a, a dating relationship, because we don't, we don't enter into the same promises and commitments. And so, I think I'm trying to discern whether that, whether that person can, um, I, I would be able to lead that person or that person can lead me, but I'm not doing that in a way that gets them to practice. I'm not kind of going, I'm going to submit to you. Lead me, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it's, the, um, it's the don't treat dating people as if they're married. It's the don't treat dating as if it's marriage kind of thing lived out. Um, all, the, all the husband's wife stuff in the Bible doesn't apply to you if you don't have a husband or a wife. I think... There's really only two states that you can be in. Uh, you can be single or you can be married. So 1 Corinthians 7, you're unmarried or you are married, which means if you are dating, you are not married. So the rules of engagement are conduct yourselves to one another as if you are not married, for you are not married. Uh, so, but, but I often think what happens is what dating has done is introduce a third category. So even the way that we've done this Loving One Another series in structure is kind of unhelpful on one level because it introduces a third relational category, which is dating. But in fact, there is no third category. You're either single or you're married. And so you need to think about that very clearly. If you're dating, you're single. And until you made those promises to one another, that's where you are. So that's how you ought to conduct yourselves to one another, which is why Ruth had a very good set of questions as to how you physically should relate to one another um, as actually unmarried people. I think that's, that, that's the tricky thing, is dating is a social reality, but it's not a theological reality. And so we need to, yeah, we need to defer to what God, God's Word says. I presume that question is from a guy, right? How can I lead my girlfriend? Um, uh, and I think, yeah, whilst we recognise that it's not... There's no, um, as we said, no theological like reason to be leading your girlfriend. Um, I think what I would still appreciate in a guy is just working on your own godliness and 
yeah, focusing on your own growth and maturity in Christ. Um, as some, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. Uh, so one of the practical questions that might flow out from that is, well, then should I actually spend time reading the Bible and praying with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? Uh, is this something that is good to do? Or maybe is it not good to do? Maybe it's too much dependency on each other in a spiritual growth intimacy area. What do you guys think? I don't think there's any harm in it. So I think I know people want to guard. I think it's really up to you, but I know people want to guard that very carefully with reading the Bible and praying with each other. I don't think there's any harm with it because God's Word always orients us towards holiness and towards Himself. So I actually think that's a safe place to, to be. Um, but I think just like any relationships for whether you're single or married, you're always drawing on lots of different resources and relationships for care and support and input. And so if I'm opening the Bible up with my girlfriend, it doesn't mean that's the only context I'm doing that. I'm also doing that in the context of friendship, in the context of church and small group. And so that's just one way that I get blessed, but not the only way. I think if you're going to do that, the one caution I'd have is, is what Dev said, that should not be the primary context or relationship with discipleship. So, if you are sharing things about personal sin and struggle and, and really deep things with one another that you would not be willing to share in another one-to-one Bible reading relationship or with your pastor or elder, then that would be inappropriate. Yeah. So, so, you ought to, there should not be, that should not be a secluded space an isolated space from everything else, but one among a series. But I'd see where you are in your relationship, and on that one, take godly counsel from people above you. Yeah. So earlier, something that Devin was talking about is uh, one of the priorities uh, when discerning dating uh, is to be looking for godly character. But other than godly character, are there other things to look out for in a partner, such as personality, um, interests, location of mission field, etc.? Uh, yes, I think com- compatibility is definitely a thing. Um, the, only, the only thing I would say is that you can't tell off the bat if that's the case. Um, you can't tell by looking at someone whether they're going to be this great person, whether they're this you know spiritually mature or not spiritually mature, whether they've got a great personality, whether they don't, whether they're boring or whether they're actually really fun. Um, so I think... My, my suggestion there would be just give it a crack. Give, like, offer the, the reality of two to three dates kind of thing. Um, there's no, no commitment. You just go, okay, cool. At the end of three dates, you go, nah, not really working. Sorry. Um, yeah. I also lost the question. I also lost the question. So, we're going to move on to the next one. Um, <laughs> well, I know the question was... I know the question. The question was, um, what's the... <laughs> was, is godly character everything, but what about the place of um, personality yeah. compatibility? So, I definitely think there's, like, practical considerations. Like, I, I remember thinking, like, I would never move. Uh, that's probably not true. Um, but I, I love Melbourne, and I wouldn't want to move to another city for, to look for someone or to find someone. Um, so for me, that was something that I thought about. But I think beyond that, um, like marriage is, can, is hard and can be hard. 
Um, and the way I see it is like, even if there's someone incredibly godly who you just find hard to get along with, like, why, why do that to yourself? Like, sanctification is hard enough. Um, <laughs> like, you know, to be wed to someone who you don't naturally get along with, I think would be really tough. Um, and maybe there are people more patient and selfless and just loving who can do that well. But I, I knew for myself, like, I wouldn't be able to do that just because I can't. Um, so I think there is a, definitely an element where you need to like and get, get along with your partner. Yeah, that's entirely true. I think it's... Um, some people make the mistake of thinking marriage is for my sanctification. Therefore, you, you know, you repulse me. You know, I must marry you. Like, <laughs> it, like it's probably not a helpful way of thinking about it. Um, I, I think what we don't talk about enough is Song of Songs. It actually helps fill out a lot of the gaps here. So people go, okay, if it's not marriage, that's the theological foundation for dating what is, then I would say some of the One Peter stuff we've been looking at, do good to one another, like, don't be a jerk, right, that's foundational, right, so often when it comes to breaking up, the act of breaking up is not the painful thing, it's how it's done, that's the painful thing. So do good to one another, but the other thing is the category of um, biblical wisdom applied to the areas of sexuality and marriage. And so when you read Song of Songs, which... Many of you may have or may have not. Um, it's one of those books people either read it too much or not at all, right? So, uh, um, but uh, you, you see what's important, right? There is a, they are drawn to one another. Then the man and the woman are drawn to one another. Uh, physically, but it's holistically. The man speaks of his, him being drawn to the woman in terms of, he talks about the bed being verdant or green. And, and he's not, he doesn't just like green as a colour, but he's talking about family. Uh, he's talking about procreation. He's actually asking questions not just about this person's suitability as a wife, but also as a mother, uh, as something that's situated within a broader context of life together. Uh, the, the book is, is exclusive. It's between one man and one woman, but the, the daughters of Jerusalem are also there, and, and they speak into it as well. So there is a genuine um, affection towards one another that draws them to each other, but it is not mere physical attraction. It's holistic. And I really like what Jeremy said. People often make that um, determination on the first conversation, right? But there's just no way you could. There's zero way you could actually make a, a holistic, personal judgment as to your affection towards the other if you've only met them, you know, totally. once off. Dev? And yeah, and sometimes you look at someone straight away and you think you can make a decision about whether you think they're attractive or not. So, you know, first impression, bang, no, nah, can't do it. But actually, I don't think that's how attraction works, like what Adam's saying. It's a holistic thing that, that can actually grow and change. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you um, begin to appreciate a person for all that they are, um, in every way they become all the more beautiful, physically, emotionally, in, in every way. And so... Um, yeah, I would be very yeah, I would be very cautious to write someone off based off a first impression. Now, one of the things that um, all three of you were talking about early in relation to uh, dating are boundaries that need to be kept. Um, how should we be keeping boundaries, and what are some suggested healthy boundaries for dating couples to keep if they might need to date for a while, and if marriage is realistically a while away?
I think it's helpful to think about boundaries, not just in what we can and cannot do, but the context that we do spend time with each other. So firstly, when you think about boundaries, it's not just what, what can we do, but it's actually... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but in what context are we going to actually spend time with each other? I think um, my experience and also speaking to others, it's, it's often um, the places or the context that we're in that actually leads to struggle. And so think about it on those two levels. But also, I think, if, I think this question is for someone that's a bit, marriage is a bit further off in the distance. Um, I would say, think about what boundaries that would be helpful and pair it back a little bit, because often, if it's, if it's far away, that will, the temptations and the struggles will only grow. And the reality is, once you've kind of passed or surpassed those boundaries, it's, very, it's much harder to pair it back than it is to um, allow it to grow, if that makes sense. Now, one of the things that might help with those boundaries, um, if there are other people who are holding us accountable as well, um, how can I go about finding an older couple for accountability if my girlfriend and I don't know any older couples well? Uh, I'm presuming the question was raised by someone in here, so I don't know. Can the married couples in here just stand up? No, we're not applauding. We're not applauding. <laughs> cool. So if you if you are no, stay 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 up stay up. Yeah. yeah. Um, I hereby give you permission to go to these people, <laughs> and we we're the, Adam talks about it a lot often the awkward amnesty, awkwardness amnesty. Go up to these people and say, hey, we've never met in our life, um, but we we really want to speak to a godly married couple and, and we want to kind of look into We want to um, do this, this boundary thing and, this, and have this um, uh, thing. Yeah, we want to... We want to <laughs> do this thing well. Um, and yeah, we, we just unfortunately... Is it me? <laughs> we... we we want to do this thing well, and we, we, we realistically don't know anyone. So can we, can we chat to you? Can we get to know you? Um, and maybe see if that becomes a good thing. Yeah, and if, if, the <laughs> um, if, if it's really for checking in um, on, <laughs> it is you, on boundaries, <laughs> um, I just want to point out as well, you don't actually need a married couple to do that. Like, your single friends, your dating friends are as able to ask you helpful questions and, um, yeah, check in on that kind of stuff too. So for those people who are helping their friends keep accountable and who are loving their dating friends, what are some helpful questions that we can ask to ask those couples in order to help keep them accountable? What are some helpful questions to ask couples to help keep them accountable? How are you going with your boundaries? Short, sharp, to the point. It doesn't have to be a subtle thing. It doesn't have to be a really sharp thing. How's your sexual sin going? Um, I, I think it's, it's just let, let the thing happen um, naturally. There should be an understanding between you that, hey, I've given you permission to ask these things about me, and there's kind of an expectation that you will. Um, 
Because if, if someone gives you the permission to say, please, check in on our boundaries, and then you feel too awkward to go up to them and be like, oh, I don't really want to bring it up again, that's just leaving that space open for, for things to go wrong. Yeah, one thing I often do is if someone asks me or shares that that's hard, even if they don't invite me, I'll just kind of ask this question. I'll ask, um, what would be helpful for you or what could I do that would be helpful for you to maintain that boundary? Then they'll say something and then I'll go, um, would it be helpful if I asked you once a month how that's going? And then they say, well, I have to say yes. So then, <laughs> but then I will. Then I, then I will. It's generally better if you're the one actually inviting the other person in. If you're asking, could you please ask me how I'm going about that once a month? And then when, you, when the person asks, it's no surprise. You know it's coming. And then don't be, and for the person asking, um, don't be weird about it on that once a month. Don't be like, well, you know, the time has come. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like you just go, um, we're asking each other, just chatting. You're probably opening the Bible with each other once a month, I'm guessing. Um, and you can just go, hey, you've asked me once a month uh, to ask how that is going. How is it going? You know? so, but I think clarity from the outset takes the fear out of it. Yeah. Also, just <clears throat> general kind of comment about how we can help people discern. I think one of the, diff one of the things that we don't want to do is, um, as people supporting dating couples, is help really pushing them to get ahead of themselves and to create this expectation that things will end in marriage. I, I've, I've definitely been guilty of that myself, where I ask questions about marriage and kids and all this stuff in the future that creates this expectation and it may make it harder for this dating couple to actually make the decision to break up and, and say no. I, I shifted my language around mm. that. I say if rather than when. Yep. But when I started saying if, people are like, oh, that's really sharp, isn't it? I'm like, no, not really. Because actually, if I say when and one half of one person in this relationship is feeling like I, I'm thinking if, not when, but everyone keeps saying when, it's, it's, it's remarkably unloving to that person. Mm and puts a burden on them. And I, I really appreciate what you said, Dev, when you said um, uh, quite often what works for one couple doesn't work for the other. And I think what happens, if I could just take a read of our church, I think we've got a good, healthy one-to-one um, -one discipling relationship that tends to be more diagonal or, or vertical in the nature of relationships, as in we look for people who are a few steps ahead of us, right? That can be a really good thing for wisdom, one of the unhealthy things is we often say, okay, you need to have a good dating relationship. And then people's first thought is to go, I need to be like Jeremy and Ruth, or I need to be like that couple. And so they start moving towards emulating that and they find their person or couple that they want to be like and latch onto them and say, I need to kind of model after that. And that, that falls to the mistake that you were highlighting, saying just be careful. Actually, in the New Testament, the language of one another is really helpful. The one another's are about actually anyone in church, uh, other mature, godly Christians. So just watch, this is more for, if you're a visitor, it's lovely to have you here, but this is more about our, our guys. We have, a, we have a tendency to be a little bit more hierarchical, which isn't a bad thing, but the risk of that is that we will try and model ourselves off the person that we are catching up with or the couple that we're catching up with. So just watch that and make use, as Ruth said, of broader relational relationships that are there. Another question related to accountability. This is a, a bit more of a personal question. If we tried very hard to not sin sexually, have accountability, but sometimes temptation is so strong that we can't control ourselves, should we break up? 
how, how should this couple think through this question? Well, it's actually really interesting what you were saying about um, <clears throat> when you put in boundaries and, and speed limits that there are consequences. Um, what were you kind of thinking might be some consequences that would be um, helpful? Uh, so one of the one of the consequences that we put in place um, was exactly that. Um, if this happens, maybe it is an indicator that we're actually not in a position to be thinking about getting married, um, and so maybe it would be good to break up. Um, it's really hard because I mean you can you can kind of hear the the pain behind that question. Um, and so I, I don't want to be harsh or or anything like that or, or overly prescriptive with, uh, with this thing. It's a very, very, um, sounds like a very, very personal question. Um, and so I, whoever whoever asked it, I hope that you are be able to have someone in this church who, is, who you're asking that question to um, in a less public setting um, and get good godly wisdom uh, from that. Um, but my answer is maybe. Maybe it is the thing to do. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe there's something else that you could... So the, the wording of the question was, you know, um, temptation is too great and we can't control ourselves. Um, I think we can't control... None of us can control our sinful nature apart from the, the goodness and the graciousness of God. Um, so may, maybe there's an option there to, okay, pull back from uh, the physical nature of that relationship for a bit and hone in on the godliness aspect. Ask God to give you the strength. Ask God to give you the, um, the ability and the capability to um, reject sin, to reject temptation, to, to flee from sexual temptation. Um, yeah, so I, I, think, I think there's many layers to the question, um, but the overall thing is maybe. It's a really tricky one because in, in, in one... From one aspect, I get it, like 1 Corinthians 7, one of the purposes of marriage is actually to help you deal with sexual temptation and to be a godly way of expressing those passions. So I get it. Um, I guess one question would be, what's, what, what do you see as the purpose of dating? Is dating as discernment? If that's the case, where does marriage kind of fit into that? If we're, um, But as well, yeah, I think I would similar to Jeremy, that I would have a caution there, that if we're really struggling to honour each other's purity, to exercise self-control, then it just might make me put a bit of a break on, yeah, on potentially um, the relationship and, and continuing, potentially. And a bit on, um, yeah, how you're dealing with it when it arises and um, to an extent, like, how often is it happening? Um, if it's, like, less... if it's Yeah, if you're moving in the right direction um, and approaching it with the right, I guess, in a sense, mindset, um, then perhaps there is more space to work through it together. I think if if there's a disregard um, for, the, for, for the boundaries that you've put in place, um, and realistically it is happening more often than less, then I think that probably more of an indicator that perhaps should break up. Um, but yeah, because like for us, we like we did have that as a consequence after a few times, like things happened. 
Um, so it was a real consequence that we put in after stuff had happened, um, which was really helpful for us because it didn't happen anymore. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about parents as well now. So, as a dating couple, how do you navigate potential conflicts between your families? And if you as a couple, you believe that you're ready for marriage, but your parents don't agree with the timeline and pacing, what should you do? This is really hard um, for me to answer because we had the opposite situation. Both my my parents and Ruth's parents were really happy for um, everything to flow the way that it did, um, and were really supportive uh, throughout that whole thing. So it's, it's really hard for me to it's really hard for me to um, to kind of speak into that situation because I just don't know. I don't know what it's like, and I can't imagine what it must be like for people in that situation. I think the first thing that Proverbs would say is to not write off your parents' thoughts too quickly. It is different if you're 30 versus 21, you know, like if, your par if you're 21 and your parents are saying it's a bit too quick, then th there may be something there. Um, if you're 40 and your parents are saying it's a bit too quick, then there's probably also something there, uh, but in a different direction. Um, I think Proverbs will say, be slow to write off your parents' wisdom. Christian or not, the presumption that Proverbs has is that your parents have something important to say. So listen to them. That doesn't then necessarily mean you must obey them. See, the difficulty is, um, in marriage, you're shifting your, your secondary allegiance, as it were. Your primary allegiance is always to God. But your household allegiance in marriage shifts from your parents to your spouse. And the thing that I would caution against... Now, this, will, this, partial, this is partial wisdom, and it will depend on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone who is more attached to their parents than they ought to be, which is most people I talk to, then I would say, remember, if marriage is... Um, the moment that you shift your secondary allegiance or your household allegiance from your parents to your spouse, be careful about that decision being dictated by your parents. Does that make sense? Because the terms upon which you enter into your marriage are then determined by actually the allegiance to which you're leaving. Um, so that if you, if you do that, if you allow the decision to be married to be primarily determined by your parents you will probably continue in your marriage, primarily determined by your parents. And if you don't think it's happened yet, it will when you have kids. Um, so to, that's, that's to the side of the people who would really struggle and, and be, take their parents' would that seriously to heart. On, on the other hand, sometimes your parents can see things that you can't. And so often they will say something and you want to hear what the wisdom is in what they are saying. Often a parent might, might get very emotional and say things, and so you've just got to kind of sift through a lot of the emotion and, and get to what's beneath it. And maybe they're articulating something about um, their concern about uh, your financial viability. That, that could be something. And, and, you know, again, then it depends. Are they, are they legitimate in saying, actually, you know, neither of you have a job? Uh, or are they saying, you know, neither of you 
own a house in Brighton, right? That, that's a very different sort of equation, right? So I think you want to, you if you're more on the side where you're liable to reject your parents' advice, to listen carefully, but to listen to what is the wisdom in what they're saying beneath what would be the very thick veneer of emotion that will be there. Uh, and don't let it drive, if you're committed to being married, don't let that drive you apart. Yeah, and sometimes, even though it may not be expressed in the most helpful way, there's still lots that we can learn from our parents and help sharpen us as we think about marriage in the future. Um, so one example for me was <clears throat> my wife, Nat. Her, her parents were a bit concerned about me going into ministry and, and become, being married to Nat. And, I mean, I still had those convictions. I wasn't going to move away from those convictions towards ministry. But I actually did find it helpful because it helped me think about a plan about how I'm going to think about finances and, and help provide financially for Nat. And so, even though I may not obey everything or just observe all the wishes of, of parents, Nat's parents, it was a real blessing for me that then sharpened me to think about, okay, how can I actually take responsibility and be more mature about it as well? So, yeah, agree that I'd be cautious to write off um, what our parents think. So today we've been talking about dating as discerning for marriage. So whether the dating relationship ends in marriage or not, if it's fulfilled that purpose of discerning, actually it's been successful. And sometimes that means it's going to end in marriage, but sometimes, unfortunately, it's going to end in a breakup. So how should we as Christians think about breakups? And after a breakup, how does someone know they're ready to date again? I think um, key to a good breakup is the good dating relationship initially. Um, I, th I think if you if you conduct yourselves like in the ways that we talked about, um, you know, with the with marriage in mind and boundaries in place and all these things, and um, if if everything like that works smoothly, I feel like the breakup can actually be really amicable, really um, effectively a Thank you for your time. Um, sorry it didn't work out. Um, obviously, there's going to be a, a little bit more um, in that. Um, but the, the more the, the relationship becomes entangled in this marriage-esque um, relationship, the harder it is to disentangle that uh, at the end of the, the situation. Um, so I think if... It's not really helpful for, for anyone who's in that scenario, like, currently. Um, and I think that, at the end of the day, there, there, there does just kind of have to be this um, acceptance of the fact that it's going to be hard. Um, and I think, I think it, it falls to the rest of us as well, um, those around these people, to, to really help them through these scenarios. And if um, helpful ways to think about and, and encouragement of, of kind of the hope in everything else that we have that, that's not this person as, as the ultimate goal. Um, and I think un, unhelpful things can be the, I think the, the worldly way of, of helping someone through a breakup is to be like, oh, that person is, was just the worst and, uh, you know, they, they sucked and you're, you're, you're better off without them. Um, I, I feel like that, that can be a, a bit unhelpful, especially if the person is still in the church and it's going around that this other person was a really terrible person. It becomes this whole um, just a bad situation. Um, so I, uh, I'm not sure if that's helpful. It's, it's a bit of talking 
everywhere and around the situation. But um, long story short, I think how we all help people through it together um, is just as helpful as um, how the, the dating couple themselves kind of see the, that's the first half of the question. Um, I think <clears throat> sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, but often breakups can feel like divorce. Like just, and you know, you think about how devastating divorce is in someone's life. I don't think breakups should have to feel the same. Um, fundamentally, it's a completely different reality. Um, but I think why breakups can often feel like divorce is because we've, we've, there's either been a mismatch of expectations or unhealthy expectations that we've brought into the dating relationship that was actually preserved for marriage. And we've, we've started to build this idea of a life or a future um, that might have been just a bit of a step ahead. So, um, yeah, I don't think breakups should have to feel like divorce. Um, if, like Jeremy said, we're, we're clear that dating is discernment up front and we keep reminding ourselves of that in, in the dating relationship and drawing on other people that can help ask those questions when we are getting a bit ahead of ourselves. As we finish up today, maybe the last question. Um, as people go out from today, what is one resource or one thing that people can do in order to help them think through um, dating in a wise biblical way and or how to help their friends who are in dating relationships? Maybe we'll hear one thing uh, from everyone. Okay. <laughs> um, my pastor. Um, <clears throat> every step of the way, that's been a really fundamental resource for me. So, in your case, it might be Adam. Um, in my case, back in my old church, it was Mark, Mark Chu. And um, the reason it was a really helpful resource is sometimes I'd be, um, yeah, I found I was freaking out about certain things, really unsure, but I think he really helped center me on what's important, keep the main thing the main thing. Um, but I've just found, actually, um, leaders that know you, that love you, um, are a really valuable resource. So it's not... So it's actually something that I should be able to share and be open with uh, my leaders, um, the leaders of the church. So that's been a real gift from God for me. I would, I would echo that. Um, and I think specifically in, in our context, Cross and Crown, um, it can be really easy to think that, and I'm incredibly sorry to have to do this, but um, it may be easy to think that because Adam isn't married, that he has no wisdom to provide to a married person, or um, what marriage could look like, or, or anything like that. And I think that's incredibly um, unhelpful for you, uh, if, if, if there is that kind of um, inkling at all. Um, I think that Adam, Adam was a massive resource for, for Ruth and I as we were dating and as we were um, discerning for marriage, and even uh, especially once we, we became engaged, um, helping to think through what that might look like. Um, and that's not because he's been married, um, but it's because he's actually really deep in God's word and um, the wisdom that he could provide us was rich from that source. Um, and so it, it is great to have married couples around and, um, you know, they can, they, I guess they can give you practical steps about, you know, what, what marriage might look like. Um, but don't discount the single people um, because actually, if they're, if they're really good and godly, they might come up with something that I guess the married people might miss.
Um, yeah. I, my, my other, my answer, not to just piggyback off Dev, was um, I think I, I w when I went looking for, for information about dating online, I found all kinds of stuff and um, resources. Uh, there's this like eight part dating thing that I read that was really great. Um, there's, these, there's books that we read. Um, but <laughs> I thought, interestingly, I was like, oh, where was this stuff when I started dating? Back in 2007, my first girlfriend. Oh, if only this. And then I looked at the thing and it was like published 2006. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it's actually all the stuff has been around forever. Um, and it, it's there. So um, I guess look for it. Uh, and if you, if you want to hear more about that, then come find me. I've got a, I've got a great thing that I, I found really helpful. Um, and I'm happy to point you towards it. Yeah, I guess just want to reiterate community is super important. Um, if you wanted a book, which I think really helpfully describes or explains, I guess, the theological sort of reality of dating, um, I would recommend <laughs> this book called Sex, Dating and Relationships by Gerald Heistand and J.S. Thomas. Very short, but an orange cover. And it's just really, it really cleanly, I think, summarizes a lot of what we've talked about. Um, and yeah, I do, on reflection, like, on reflection over the past week, I really think just thinking through dating well before you start dating or, or whilst you're dating is really the key to dating well. Um, um, two resources, um, another book, but one half of it. Um, the book Not Yet Married by Marshall Siegel is good on the dating half and not great on the singleness half. So, um, read half of it and then shelve it, uh, but, but it's good. Uh, you need to read discerningly about these things. I think Jeremy's right, there's a lot of good things out there. I tend to be very suspicious about most things that come from southern parts of America, uh, because a lot of it is very kind of enculturated, you know. Um, it's sort of like Josh Harris pre-incarnation sort of, you know, the first version and then it just kind of ran all the way. So I'm just kind of just, I, I worry about that. But um, Not Yet Married by Marshall Siegel for um, the half on dating is, is excellent. I thought it was really helpful. Um, second one, really weird, but I really like this. And if, if we spend time together, I would have shown you this. Um, it's, it's not a Christian thing at all. Um, it's a video um, that's on YouTube by a channel... That, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, it's part of a series, and the series is, it's a Singaporean thing, and you can ask me, right? And, and the question is, what's it like to be in an arranged marriage? And so that, there, are, there are Christians in it, there are Muslims in it, there are atheists in it, but it's actually really helpful to listen to, uh, watch, because when you watch it, because remember, marriage is a creation thing. It's not just a Christian thing. Being a Christian amplifies it with the gospel, but you can learn about marriage from non-Christians as well, really helpful things. The really valuable thing about that video I found was it talks primarily about commitment. Attraction could not have been there because they did not see each other until they got married. You know, you can only imagine, like, when they saw each other, they're just screaming to their mum. It's like, really? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but, but also, it helps you distill what is necessary for marriage and what have we culturally inserted in there. Does that make sense? If most of history had arranged marriages, will we kind of take dating and make it as if this kind of, you know, trans-historical, always there, biblical ideal, but actually, when you look at how marriage has been done throughout history, it helps you figure out 
what's necessary and what's not. And so I found that really helpful because it just helped you see actually the necessity of commitment and the right place of attraction in it. And these are like old people who have been married for ages who have gone the distance where they didn't even know each other beforehand, but it's the approach that they took, in, that they took when they approached their marriage that really helped. So some might want to find that. It can ask me and it's about arranged marriages somewhere. But we'll put that all online later. Awesome. Why don't we give them all a round of applause?